0: Is sponsored by Zero Accounting Software, who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready, visit xero.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast, aka the podcast in which I, Fiona Grayson, sit down with female founders in their teens, twenties and thirties, dotted all over the UK, and ask them to open up to me about absolutely everything that they've had to push through, both in front of and behind the scenes, the good, the bad and the times oh so ridiculously challenging, to get to where they are with their businesses today. Before I introduce today's episode, I'm so pleased to say that the tickets for the Midweek Mingle Roadshow in March are now live, which, if you don't know about already, is essentially an event series that I launched in 2018 to provide a really down-to-earth solution to the lack of unintimidating networking opportunities for female business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs throughout the UK, not just in London, as well as combat the severe lack of young female role models in the public eye that we can all listen and learn from who are really willing to open up about their business stories in full, dodgy days and all. So if you fancy coming along and mingling with me and anywhere between 90 and 120 amazing women who get it in London, Brighton or Cardiff next month, please do follow the link in the show notes below for further details. Right, back to the episode at hand in which I got to chat to the incredible woman that is Dr Lydia Yarlett, who co-founded a saving app that is revolutionising the NHS by connecting healthcare workers so that they can find each other easily and share confidential patient information securely. Born out of Lydia's attempts to find a solution to the problems, she was battling on the wards as a junior doctor. Pando is now trusted by over 25,000 UK healthcare professionals. At the time of recording had raised £3 million of investment with a second round of funding about to close and is now a team of 30 in London with imminent plans to go global. Delivering babies in her role as an NHS paediatrician one day and handling a multi-million pound funding round the next. Straight off the back of a 12-hour shift on the ward, seriously, this woman is a superwoman. Lydia joined me at Pando HQ in London to discuss the ins and outs of her story launching and growing Pando with her two co-founders to date. Between you and me, I got back to my flat after recording this interview and chewed my partner's ear off for a good hour about just how unbelievably inspired i was throughout the entirety of this chat so hopefully after listening to our conversation you will soon understand why as always i really really hope you enjoy it i feel like it's seven o'clock in the evening you've been on call since 8am and now i've brought you back to this office and want to chat to you i feel like how have you got the energy to chat to me right now Oh, it's like a different kind of energy. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: people say that they can always have desserts like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, I love that. Um, Lydia, can you talk to me about what your business is all about in your own words, and then we will go from there. And also, at the same time, what your day job is as well. Yes. So,
1: I'm now a trainee paediatrician. I started Pando when I was a, a junior doctor and actually my first year of working. And we did that because as a couple, me and my partner were just quite astonished by the state of communication Mm. in the NHS at the time, and how much of an effect it had on my day, Mm. and my colleagues' days, and I guess they felt like quite dark days for junior doctors, Mm. there was the strike, and following that there was a big exodus from the profession, certainly at the level that I was at at the time. A lot of people felt like they just couldn't carry on, and... The skill mix that my partner and I had at the time, so he was heading off another software business, and I'm forever grateful that he jumped ship and moved to working on this with me, because we felt like it would make such a difference to our lives as a couple, Mm. as well as everybody's working lives and healthcare.
0: So what was the problem specifically at the NHS? Because it's all to do with medical notes, right? So the issue really is
1: finding who you need when you're in an enormous hospital and you only have, for example, a bleep number to get hold of them on. Mm. So it's always quite interesting hearing myself describe how bleeps work because I can never quite believe that we're still using them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean
0: that's like kind of the ER stuff. They use that on like the first episode of Grey's Anatomy, don't they? Like, it's old yes.
1: school. <laughs> yes, it really is. I think they were invented in the nineteen sixties. So they're little plastic devices that you carry around with you. When somebody wants to speak to you, they make a quite irritating, blooping sound, and you then have to find a landline phone to answer them back. This is quite time-consuming, and many stages in the process might be interrupted, because that person has had to start a new clinical task, or you've had to finish the clinical task that you were doing at the time. And really, it was quite obvious that not just doctors, but everybody in healthcare needed a messaging mm-hmm. solution. So that's where... Forward, which was the name of our company at the time, started. Yeah, because, did
0: you was PR? Yeah, she, yes. she emailed, to said, when I was checking it was still on, and she was like, by the way, the name's changed. I was like, sorry, I was yes. really, really, really short about Forward, but we'll get on to that. Yes, bit. yeah, yeah Forward. So I guess we
1: loved the idea that this was something that would take the NHS in a forward direction mm-hmm. and also it was a product for the ward. I guess what we found during this journey is that This idea of replacing bleeps and offering an instant messaging solution was really only the tip of the iceberg in terms of a the communication problem but also the potential of better communication in healthcare. Mm. So we felt that actually something that described going unidirectionally was not really the right way to describe ourselves anymore. We thought that doctors would use this to communicate with nurses, nurses would use this to communicate with pharmacists, and people would be talking in the ways that they currently talk within hospitals. But actually what we found is, for example, groups of specialists getting together all over the country organically forming their own networks, sharing interesting cases. Mm. We found that groups form around a particular patient to support that patient's discharge, for example. We're not just used on the ward, we use all over the community. We use in primary care. So cutting in there, mm. you use
0: a user they can search for a name or a role or like how, how do they access that community? Do you know what I mean? Or- exactly, I mean it's incredibly simple. Mm. So you sign up
1: and you assign yourself to an organisation, and then you can find. Does that mean hospital? a hospital or a primary care group, we have groups of community nurses, we have mm-hmm. mental health trusts, yeah. so whatever your organisation is within healthcare, and then basically you can search for anybody by availability or as you say, job role. So if I needed to find an anaesthetist in my hospital, I wouldn't have to know that the anaesthetist on call's name was Emma. Yeah. <laughs> I would be able to just find her that way and send her a message.
0: That's amazing. It's honestly, it was one of those ideas where it, you can always tell a good idea, I think, because you hear about it, you go, Christ, how has it taken that long for someone to do that? Because that just makes sense. Do you know what I mean? It's like such a, oh, of course, like, oh, why hasn't that been done? But I think ideas can pop into someone's head and you think, God, wouldn't it be amazing, especially first year of being a junior doctor, that I have some friends that are in that right now and they're stressed. Do you know Mm. what I mean? That's not an easy job. Everyone knows that the hours are tough and the demands are tough. To then have this idea and say, okay, let's do that on the side. I mean, like that's intense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a lot of help. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned one of my co-founders, my husband. Yeah. Got another brilliant co-founder, Barney, who's also a junior doctor, and whose passion for this problem is absolutely evident by the fact that he does this full time now. Mm. So he's co-CEO with my partner Philip. And it's amazing to have that clinical expertise at the absolute top level of the company as yeah. well. So I think in this case, you know, the idea is like a very small part <laughs> of what happened there. Yes. And as he's saying, you know, it's a pretty obvious one. I suppose what we didn't realise is how allowing people to find each other and communicate would really change the outcomes for patients at the end of it. If people are able to access an expert and ask them a question, that patient can be saved a trip to A&E, it can be saved an outpatient appointment, it can be given the treatment they need earlier, can really free up space for the system as well. Mm. And when you imagine things you know, purely from your own professional perspective, yeah. You tend to be, you know, a little bit too narrow in the ideas about you, how that might really change things, and I think that's been the most exciting thing, and that's why we had to rechristen ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I'm, probably you don't know what a panda is. I don't think anyone does really. I have no idea. Because um,
0: with Minnie, is it forward and for the ward and all of this, I was like, yeah, completely makes sense. So now I'm like, well, what's the name changed goat? Go, go what was yeah. So we liked
1: pando because it has an organic root. So mm-hmm. a pando is a description of an enormous group of aspen trees that's how I can interconnect it by a root system underground so you think that they're all individuals and in fact they're one organism wow and I love that idea because our network is growing you know completely and out of our control essentially which mm. is exciting hundreds of people are joining every day and we don't know obviously we don't know what they're talking about yeah <laughs> that's the very very private data but we don't know really what the potential is for having the majority of healthcare professionals on the same network mm. you know, if we were a hospital now, we've got 25,000 users. We'd be by far the biggest in the That's country, incredible. which is really
0: exciting. That's amazing. <laughs> have this shared idea, I want to know what the initial first few days, weeks, months look like, how you juggled your time, what you prioritised in those early days to get this app off the ground.
1: I guess the first thing you do when you have an idea is see if anyone agrees with you. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) At first of course that's anecdotal. So I got very attuned to when other people around me were having communication problems. Mm. So somebody would be beeping the orthopaedic registrar literally all afternoon and poor them, they can't answer, they're in theatre, I'm sure they want to help. Mm. But it's very frustrating for both parties when that message, it's literally a message in a bottle, you have no idea if it's got to the person that needs it. And meanwhile there's a complete bottleneck in that patient's care. So whenever there was one of these examples, and there are many in hospitals every day, I guess I would focus on like, what it felt like to be that person, and whether there might be a better way. But it, it's very interesting with healthcare because there are specific, very organised, very regulated ways of doing things, and absolutely that should be the case. Mm. It's people's lives at stake. But it means that inherently the organisation and people tend to be quite resistant to
0: change. Yeah. Like they admit to being quite resistant. I was listening to a How I Built This podcast the other day, and someone was saying, you know, changing human nature is the hardest thing you can do. And it's like like that innate, like, this is how we do it. It's been done like this for years. Why rock the boat? Mm. It's like changing that is a mammoth task. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, even though the concept of forward as it was in those days...
1: Was very simple. Our product was often confused with other things that might be suitable for environments that aren't healthcare. So in the early days, we got a lot of, oh, but Skype for Business is going to do all this. Um, And it still didn't solve that role problem. So the idea that you need to be able to search for someone who is in the hospital working on that day, Mm. that is so important. I guess that the thing that we really noticed was as soon as we made something physical, So we literally made some wireframes, right, of what this product was going to look like, we thought. And as soon as those came into existence, people started to get really excited. Mm -hmm. In fact, they thought it was very soon going to be, you know, a real product. Yeah, I think sometimes when you see that, though, it becomes
0: so easy to talk of this idea of an app or a platform, whatever you want to call it. I think it's very similar with a lot of businesses when you talk about it to someone that's just not in the industry. It's so hard to, like, compute until you have a physical product or you can see something. When you see it, Definitely. it's real, and it's like, ah, and then it clicks.
1: Definitely. And yeah. I mean, I was a junior doctor, I had no idea how the software it would take to build. Yeah. And initially, in those early days, we outsourced it completely. You know, I was promising people a real product within a scope of kind of weeks to yeah. months. Yeah. <laughs> actually you know it took a good kind of six months to make something that was usable yeah I think that was a real lesson you know good software takes a long time mm. to build and you have to tweak
0: it and yeah there's a lot of back and forth I suppose absolutely how did you fund that even from the initial like the designs it all costs money right so how did you go about that yeah again given that you're a junior doctor at the time
1: sure and I think this is a really important thing to be honest about actually mm-hmm. because in a way it was relatively easy for mm. us So my partner had just exited his last business and he had a bit of capital and we we poured it into this project because we really thought that it was worth it. We did seek some early investment and we would have actually had that if we'd wanted it, but we decided that we wanted to keep the control as Mm -hmm. founders and so, I think particularly in that almost pre seed stage, you might want to share your concept, you might really want to share the nitty gritty of what you're going to do every day with your mm. company with somebody else, i.e., an early stage investor, an angel investor. Mm. But I guess we were quite set on doing things for healthcare professionals how we thought they should be done. Yeah. And then later on, we raised three million cash on. <laughs> right, and Um, we're just finishing another funding round now, which is really exciting. But I mean, whenever I talk to people that want
0: to start projects, you know, funding is often the thing. It's what I'm in at the moment. And it's literally just an absolute headache. It is at that early stage bit. And it's, yeah, I'm always intrigued by how it all works. Yeah, I mean, I guess what's
1: exciting and also really reassuring is that there is capital out there. Mm. So investors are getting much more excited by health tech mm. because it's one of the last areas to really be touched mm-hmm. by this technology revolution that we've all been experiencing yeah. like for literally 20 years. But it's it's slightly <laughs> bypass healthcare. Yeah. Those things need to be done very carefully and they need to be done really on such a massive scale that it's actually quite hard to break in there. But there's definitely an ecosystem of health technology companies that are both of patient-facing and less commonly clinician-facing like we are and there's a real appetite to work with companies like that from the investor side mm. and I guess I always found that a lovely kind of almost like rebalancing because healthcare desperately needs input in terms of innovation in terms of technology I mean and the NHS are... gets
0: so much stick do you know what I mean it's it such a hard time and like the pressure on all of you as well the kind of the f- front face it like what's
1: the word I go for yeah I mean I, I have to really check myself for, for injecting the right amount of positivity mm, yeah. about my job in the NHS as well because I, I do love it yeah that's it's, a thing you're a, a great job yeah and you know I wouldn't give it up for the world and I wouldn't even give it up for this company working really? full-time in this company so yeah. I, I work part time yeah. as a paediatrician I care about this mission that we have with Pando more than I can possibly describe because it affects more people than I'll ever be able to treat in my whole lifetime. It's essentially more important than my clinical job but I'm in a catch-22 because I just love my clinical job.
0: But I think as well though, that's a really refreshing perspective that you're not desperate to jump ship and also what you're building does impact the patients and also your day-to-day job as well and all of your colleagues. You will always, if you're not going to leave that, always have that touch point where you can just Not get carried away with what all this tech can do and how crazy it can go, and you always have that, I guess, reality check. And you can keep going back and be like, Will that extra add on to this app actually benefit us, or are we Mm. just getting carried away? Do you know what I mean? Or, like, actually, this has changed and this behavior has changed, and we need to add this in because you're there, which I think is really like amazing.
1: Yeah, I think that is really important actually. And it's amazing how even if I go on holiday for a week, you know, I really lose sight. The problem yeah and as soon as I go back to work it hits me and I guess having that kind of clinician focus but also patient at the center of what we do because a lot of us are clinicians and that's what we see every day mm. that's what we care about is great for the
0: organization it just kind of keeps us really focused yeah definitely okay so you've got the funds it gets built I'm now interested in how you get people using it because you can have the best product in the world, but if you don't have anyone actually using it, it's pretty much redundant, Yeah,
1: right? I mean, I think in a way, we're lucky with our target audience because they're pretty starved of yeah. technology. <laughs> I mean, the good thing is that people do use their phones at work, mm-hmm. so um, there's a number of really useful healthcare apps that most clinicians will have on their phones, and we are, in addition to that, I guess, again, going back to when we showed people the wireframes and the idea that you could just instantly message somebody that you'd never met before, that worked in the same organisation as you. I mean, honestly, people's eyes really lit up. My my eyes were lighting up, (laughs) thinking about it. So people really did see the value. I mean, there was that... Resistance that we talked about. But I think as soon as people had one use case mm. that was really important to them, for example, the ability to send clinical images securely. So if you wanted an opinion on a rash or an ECG and you've asked the consent of the patient, you can then send it you by take a photo. photo. Exactly. Oh. Um, and that's secure, and no data is stored on the device, so it's not any risk to you as a clinician. So you can
0: take a photo on your personal phone?
1: So Pando runs on your personal phone. Right. It can run on your work phone, but I guess what we're trying to avoid is for every organisation to have to buy new devices. Yes. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, you're trying to help the NHS. Yeah, <laughs> actually it's going to cost you this much. <laughs> yeah,
1: but in terms of what we call information governance, mm. which is the data protection side of the NHS and of sensitive data in the UK, we have passed all those checks and balances and we're in use at a number of trusts Officially, which is really exciting mm. so there is a natural taboo about using your own phone at work but what I was trying to say earlier is that that is reducing mm. because phones are just so useful mm. you know we're often running Windows 2003 in hospitals and the smartphone just has so much more power It's so much quicker so it makes sense to really use the technology that we already have in our pockets mm. as
0: clinicians
1: mm. and most people already are
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Did you face any resistance? I mean, if you're a junior doctor, how old are you? Like mid-twenties? Yeah, mid-twenties. Given the fact that all levels of seniority within the hospitals, are joined you want them on this app. When you are pitching and you're trying to get these people on there, did you ever face any like... Oh, definitely. Definitely.
1: Medicine's still very hierarchical. No, but
0: that's what I'm going for. And I suppose that it can be said for so many businesses, you say you're going to launch a business... You know, I've interviewed some teenagers that are doing really, really well, but they've had so much like, what do you know, you're 17, 18. And it's kind of like, I imagine from what I've heard from some friends that there must have been some senior people who've been like, what the hell do you know Lydia?" You know, <laughs> or not so much sure. in those words, but... I mean, I think a good argument against
1: that is that fresh eyes do bring a different and important perspective. Mm. And I'm very happy to be told why Panda is not the right tool, because then we can work even harder on making it the right tool. You know, it's actually, I think negative feedback teaches you an awful lot more than positive Mm. feedback does. But I think there's a real role for young innovators within the NHS now, and I think Mm -hmm. the NHS has been very good at actually advocating for those people. So there's a clinical entrepreneurs programme now that's part of NHS England, which is very forward-thinking and very exciting, and it helps you, it incubates your idea, it allows you to meet other people who are going through the same experiences, perhaps the same resistance, Mm -hmm. the same different challenges. And I think as a group, that's really built everybody's confidence yeah. together. And also, given it a badge, being an entrepreneur is a valuable thing for the NHS. So, yes. I think the signs are really encouraging. And I think that old school, this is the way it's always been done, is sort of losing power. Did
0: you have any peers ever question it? Or, I suppose, like, what was the support like? You've obviously said that a lot of faces lit up, but I'm just trying to think there's a lot of junior doctors. Did you ever have any kind of Jealous vibes or unsupportive? Definitely, and I'm not really sure what the origins of those Mm.
1: feelings are. I mean, I think the only thing that ever hurts me is when people question my commitment to medicine. Mm. Because, you know, this has taken me away from my clinical job for part of the week, every single week. Mm. But I still feel primarily like a doctor above Mm -hmm. anything.
0: How do you deal with that scepticism then, or the cynical comments?
1: I well, I'm not sure how a great answer to that. <laughs> you know, I feel a bit hurt. Yeah, so move on.
0: Well, it's it's um, that reality, isn't it? Because I think, like, uh, not many people listening to this are going to be junior doctors also launching an app, you know, but they sure. definitely have faced people doubting them. When you expect support, they haven't always been there. So I think that's where advice or how you deal with it might come in handy. I suppose it really
1: comes down to how much you believe in what you're doing. Mm. And I can't really say anything or insightful in that I think I've always had this feeling and so have the vast majority of our team I very much get that sense from them that this is the right thing to be doing. It is about time that NHS had some help in terms of technology Mm. and I think having this office of 30 people working to help NHS healthcare professionals is just a really exciting thing and they're doing that because they generally want to make life better, they want to stop doctors and nurses leaving the system, they want to stop them feeling burnt out, Mm. stop them feeling like when they go to work everything is against them and make them feel like they want to go back the next day and I guess that's where I've got my sort of confidence from just feeling like this is the only
0: option, actually. Yeah, it makes sense. This podcast is sponsored by Zero Accounting Software, who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready, visit xero.com. Let's talk about how you split your role with your husband and your other co-founder. Who does what? How does that, like, in terms of getting that you're working with your husband as well, like, the dynamic there, you know, how did you split it in the early days? How has it evolved? And at what point did it go from three of you to 30? Blimey, that's a big team, you know?
1: <laughs> yes, well, in the early days, you snatched whatever time you could
0: get. Yeah.
1: Because Barney and I were both working as full-time doctors yes. in completely different areas of the country. So we, we would always meet in King's Cross because that's where our trains got in mm-hmm. and then have dinner and have this meeting we tried to get somebody interesting into our meetings to kind of bounce ideas off every week like family um, friends or other doctors so people that we were meeting along the way people that were interested in health technology or had like scaled
0: healthcare
1: platforms in the past and you what sent them
0: a cold call email LinkedIn how did you get them
1: all of those things yes yeah. <laughs> all of those <laughs> things <laughs> do you know what you meet yeah. things like
0: that where like, like, like this business- is It's like you have to be proactive. Yeah, yeah, you do. And I guess that, again,
1: there's no way that any of us would have sacrificed that time when we were really quite busy, to be honest, anyway, if we hadn't really believed in this. So that was the first kind of signal that there was something here, there was something really to be done. It took a very long time to get our first hospital to say yes, (laughs) obviously, because we're a completely new outfit. And we were proposing something very new. So you bring your own
0: device into a hospital, use it to share patient data. That's very scary for
1: an NHS organisation. It shouldn't be, because there are plenty of safeguards that you can employ to make that... A very very secure process and eventually everybody saw that.
0: How many hospitals did you have to approach?
1: We approached the hospitals that we were working at
0: at the mm. time
1: both of whom were quite forward-thinking, actually, quite innovative, had interesting leadership teams and just kind of gave it a go, Mm. which was exciting. But then I suppose the hospitals that have taken it on and taken it forward are not necessarily the ones we would expect. You know, they tended to be a bit smaller, and so what you call a district general hospital. That's the level down from, like, a big teaching hospital. It's been quite interesting to see how those organisations function. Often... I guess when people are in smaller teams it just is easier mm. to get something across the line that feels quite risky, even though we tried to mitigate all those risks so heavily. But anyway, going back to your original question, so how did we negotiate those first few years? I guess. It all happened in steps that felt really natural at the time and really natural looking back. So once we got a group of kind of five people, I had a year out between my junior doctor years and going into my specialist training. So we had five people with a reasonable amount of time and just like every single startup, every single entrepreneur does, we, we, we hacked it. (laughs) Yeah, so we made contact with, you know, as many people as we could, doing parallel things, doing... And I guess
0: with five of you, that's a lot of time spent, you know, like, I kind of compare it to like a sole founder or even just two co-founders, five people working full time for a year, you're going to get somewhere, like, that's a lot of work going in.
1: Yeah, I suppose, again, the interesting thing was trying in some way to make that work within a relationship, because... When you've got a project that you're both so passionate about and that you've put a lot into in terms of time and resources, it's hard just not to talk about that 100% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so we'd actually have to say, you know, oh, from like 6.30pm on Wednesday, we're actually not going to talk about yeah. the company, which is quite helpful. I suppose the thing for a startup is the real game changer is when you get funding. Mm because that's when you can start to flesh out your team, that's when we move from outsourcing all our technology to having all of our um, engineers in-house, which is a really exciting moment. And in terms of now, so again, I have to just give credit to Philip and Barney for being brilliant CEOs and doing all the day-to-day work for the company. I guess my role is really as clinical advisor to the company, so... I'm quite steeped with a problem. And I guess every company that has a mission needs to feel as connected to that mission as they possibly can. Mm. That's where I see my job, really. Yeah,
0: definitely. You obviously said that you split the time, so how often do you come in? So
1: it, it really depends. Yeah. It really depends. I guess I wish I was here more. You know, I think the hardest thing about this kind of evolution has been not being there for really important moments in the growth and development of this company. And, you know, decisions being made, which generally I think we have an amazing leadership team think you know we're incredibly lucky to be able to basically completely trust them to do a brilliant job but it's just that like feeling I guess you know that playground feeling of being a bit left out yeah sometimes <laughs> so it has been tough and I wouldn't necessarily recommend working with your partner I wouldn't necessarily recommend <laughs> taking on a role I mean founding something and then going ahead with the job that you had originally mm. you know I think most people would advise and I think it's right that if you really want something to succeed then you've absolutely got to put all of your energy mm-hmm. and more into that thing. I suppose that the other thing to say on that point is we probably wouldn't be married if
0: I was here full time, yes. <laughs> so that's another consideration. I'm, I'm always so intrigued when people go into business with a partner, same with family, same when best friends do it, I'm always like it's so much pressure They kind of weave their way in a bit, but has there been a day on the job where you've just thought, "This is not what I signed up for. Is this stress worth it? You know, like what, what's the worst day in the job looked like?" And I suppose, given that every business owner is going to face setbacks along the way, what's your advice for when days like that hit because they are inevitable, in my opinion?
1: I think it's when there are like too many nos. Mm. So at the moment, we offer our platform to the NHS for free, and I guess it feels like there are very few reasons not to at least give us a go, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just let the clinicians see what they make of Yeah, cattle. we're trying to help you guys. And <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, you know, when people come back with, Oh, well, we think we've got an alternative or we think, you know, we don't want to take this project on right now because we've got X on the project. And we really do do everything in our power to make it easy for organisations to launch Pando and to just really go with it and see where it takes their members of staff. Because it pretty much always results in a better outcome for them and a better mm-hmm. outcome for patients. Yes. So I, I suppose a bad day is when you feel like you're dealing with a very stretched system that actually doesn't even really have the the time and the opportunity to kind of open up to something new. Mm-hmm. As I said, I feel like the tide is turning on that. And certainly we have worked really successfully with the healthcare service in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't still be in existence if it worked for that yeah. but you always want things to be faster you always want like a little bit more positivity
0: yeah it's so, so true it's so funny isn't it it's like you can believe in an idea so much and so many people are backing it but they're still always going to be people that just don't get it then or if they don't get it they're just not willing to make that happen. Yeah, and I guess
1: within healthcare, you know, those people are doing a good job because they're stopping things from changing that, you know, are broken, don't need to change. It's my strong belief that Communication and healthcare
0: is broken, yeah but it does need <laughs> to change.
1: But you know that's our job mm. to convince I, um, people.
0: Interviewed a lovely, like an amazing woman, Celia Paul, who founded a company called Dame, and they were the first, world's first, reusable tampon applicator. And they also oh, do. Wow ethical environmentally friendly tampons as well but she was saying and I guess it mirrors in the sense it's that habit change the business makes sense we should all be using given plastic pollution those kind of products but it's that habit change and it's Mm. getting people to just give up Mm. what they just they just naturally go for you know or whatever it might be yeah and it's just that moving that shift and it's it's mindset shifts are just yeah really there's also an organizational feeling within big institutions
1: that you can't necessarily take the initiative on your own Mm. i'm actually always really impressed when we have for example a doctor within a department reaching out to us saying that i have this problem and you know i want to solve it myself i haven't just taken it to my manager to solve i always think that's unusual but more common than I would expect, yeah. because people do they escalate their problems and then they want it to be solved for them. Mm. But I guess what's nice about Pando is it does give people a tool to decide to do something new. Yeah, and even you know within a department we can get that going for them. Yeah, which can make a real difference even to one team. Yeah,
0: definitely. You mentioned that the NHS is currently free for them. So from like a business model perspective, and I guess for the investors, what's in it for them if there's no money coming in? Like how does it make money or, sure do you know what i mean like what <laughs> absolutely because there's so many i suppose really amazing ideas like that but people don't give them the legs because like well no one's going to buy into that because it doesn't make money especially for things like sustainability and anything phila- philanthropic absolutely. Yeah, i'm saying that word <laughs> but there's so many amazing ideas people could have if the business case isn't there so many people are, walk away from them but investors clearly are interested in those still so how does that work
1: Yes, that's a really good question, and I I definitely wouldn't advocate starting a company without a business model. (laughs) But I suppose what's interesting about Pando is that there is such a gap to fill, Mm. there's such an unmet need. We're always creating a market from the people that have decided to use us. They've never really been treated like consumers before, Mm -hmm. and they've never really been asked what they thought. And I guess that that's where people like our investors feel our value lies is in that network. Mm. You know, like I said, if we were a hospital, we'd be the, the biggest, biggest hospital,
0: hospital, which is mad thing. That's so powerful. It's so incredible.
1: Yes. So, you know, there are various routes that we could go down. We do, in fact, employ a premium service Mm. for anybody that wants to buy the software with additions. But we're also thinking about how to really leverage the availability of experts how to make best use of their time Mm -hmm. and the patient's time. It may be that one day we'd like to make a patient-facing platform, for example, Mm. because, as we know, if communication between clinicians is poor, communication from clinician to patient is often really, really lacking. Mm. And that makes a huge difference to people's levels of anxiety, levels of understanding, Mm. the education that they have about their own condition. So there are many options and I suppose we have been fortunate enough to find people that want to go on that journey with us. Mm-hmm. So it's really about how big is the problem? How close do you think you are to finding a solution and how can you prove that you can iterate on that? Mm-hmm. And you know what's the presumed value of what you're doing and I think that the feedback we're getting is showing that the product
0: is valuable yeah hugely and I guess at some point for an investor if that was like an exit you could sell that to another medical company that would pay for that data maybe
1: you know there are lots of options I think the important thing to say here is that because we're a clinician run organization that's always going to be within a tight ethical framework Mm. that we actually formulated like right at the beginning yeah and I don't think any of us would make any compromises on that but it will be I think the next few years will be an interesting time (laughs) definitely what's your
0: goal let's roll with that so what's your goal where do you see it going how big do you want it to Go. So we're going international in... Um, say it so casually, Lydia. I like it's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> we're actually opening
1: up to international app stores this week, which wow. is really exciting. And the thing to say about this is that every healthcare system has this problem. Mm. So we're not alone in the NHS having difficult communication between healthcare professionals. You know, in Germany, they've got a big problem with WhatsApp use. All over the world, people are using instant messages that aren't designed for healthcare. Because they're not secure. Because they're not secure, exactly. But also because they're designed for communication with your friends rather than with your colleagues. So we've got a really good bespoke Solution to that, and we're quite excited to see where that's going to go both in the kind of public and private sectors mm-hmm. abroad. And the other thing to say is you know, we obviously healthcare is part of our DNA, but there's other areas of kind of public service that could really benefit from a platform where you could have a secure discussion about mm-hmm. somebody that you're trying to help. So, you know, there's social care, there's education. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of inbound inquiries from local authorities, from fire service, mm-hmm. from ambulance service
0: this which is really exciting. That's amazing let's move on to you as just a woman away from the business because I mean let's face it you've been on board today and now you're here and the hours that you put in the pressures of having this business on the side that's going international I mean oh, no, honestly <laughs> I, I, I feel incredibly
1: lucky I have a very uh, you know privileged position within this organisation which I feel grateful for literally every day and I honestly think that doing these two things is highly complimentary yeah. for my own kind of psychological health yeah,
0: as well as yeah. anything else. Just because it gives you an escape from the other. Or... Exactly. Yeah. So it's a complete outlet, you know. Yeah. Sometimes when it all feels like
1: really against you, when <laughs> you're in hospital working, coming here or seeing the kind of energy pouring out of the team here, yeah. it's literally the best antidote to that. Yes. So I honestly think they absolutely feed off each other.
0: What does downtime look like for you though? Like how do you make sure you are looking after yourself even though they both they both play off each other and. Kind of support you like and sustain you mentally in, in their different ways like what does switching off look like do you switch off like self-care all of that kind of thing yeah i do actually yeah. i do
1: and i think that's really really important and i think it makes you a better doctor yeah. aside from anything else you have to Get there the next day with like enough energy for your patients, for your colleagues. Mm. And you certainly have to get to a startup environment with enough energy. <laughs> no, no, no. Sometimes I don't always manage that. You <laughs> no, um, it, it, it is a very important question, I think, and made much more difficult by the fact that both me and my husband are you know, really in this for the long term. Mm. We really really care about the outcome, and it's kind of our first child yeah. almost. Yeah. But I think. It, Compartmentalising time that we spend talking about that as opposed to time that we spend talking about other things in life is really important. We do escape a lot. We like running, we like fell okay. running. So we go fight some hill, run up it at the weekends, yeah. um, and that's really really nice yeah. just like complete her mental
0: space I run and honestly I know when I haven't run in a few days because I'm just itching to go and I feel like the minute you go for a run it clears your head it's Exactly. Just so good you <laughs> can't actually do anything else yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't do once you hands, let out, you kind of have yeah. to get back somehow so keep going. <laughs> that's, true. <laughs> that's yeah. so true and in terms of like do you have time to kind of socialise or is it just I do
1: I do you know, my friends are really really yeah. important to me and I think you know have been the most enormous source of support going through this because it does take a strain it takes a strain on you know your time and the rest of your life but also your relationship that I mean I guess probably they're my biggest escape my friends <laughs> doing different things yeah really. <laughs> no,
0: that's amazing okay so rounding up then I always end with a few statements so I will start and I'd like you to finish please number one being my own boss means
1: well I am not going to say I'm my own boss <laughs>
0: so, I think mean, that
1: statement doesn't quite fit me because you know, I'm I'm a part of this team. Yeah. I'm actually quite you know, a relatively small part. Mm. I'm the clinician face within the company and as I said my role is like really quite symbolically to keep us mission oriented. Mm. But I think if I thought I was my own boss there'd be a serious problem here. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah no, I guess yeah it doesn't it doesn't make sense. But, like, I guess you are one of the co-founders, so there is that, this is your business at the end of the day, it's one, like, part of. So it's definitely part of me. Yeah, and you kind of share the reins, but one of them is yours. (laughs) Sure. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to talk about it as much as you can. Mm -hmm.
1: Get as many different opinions as you can. Step back, think about it for at least a day, go back to it.
0: Yeah. You said that's so powerful, I was like, yes, <laughs> that's good. If I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I'd say that I am. Because you are, I know that you have the other job on the side, but you definitely, definitely
1: are. I'd say that I'm a businesswoman because I don't have another choice mm. to really make a difference. This is the way that I think change is going to happen the most quickly, mm. um, and speed is important to me. I'm a businesswoman by necessity. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. love that answer. If I could go back to doing one of my business, I'd tell myself. I'd tell myself just
1: never to be embarrassed, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd tell myself that you can ask anyone, pretty much anything, and that the consequences aren't going to be that bad. Yeah. I'd say reach out to literally whoever you can, whenever you can. Use the expertise around you. you know, It's amazing to be in this city but it's also amazing to be in this country there's a hell of a lot going on there are some really really interesting projects going on in every technology sector Mm -hmm. and i think particularly in something like health where people want to help one another it is like i said an ecosystem Mm and it only really works if It's thriving in itself. So I think just make those connections, remember that people like to help.
0: Love that. Very nasty, I feel like you're going to come up with such a good answer here, no pressure, but I want my legacy to be that.
1: I want my legacy to be that healthcare professionals, leave their job feeling energized. I would be so happy if Pando became the tool that was Indispensable to healthcare professionals at work. You know, it would be silly not to use it basically because it saves you so much time and it allows you to deliver better care. Mm -hmm. I think marginal gains are really, really important in medicine and really important in people's view of their own careers. And even if Pando only made the tiniest difference, but it made it to the majority of clinicians, I'd be so happy with that.
0: Love that. Thank you so much. That was just so Thank inspiring. You. I Thank love you. you. Thank you for listening to She Can, She Did. If you fancy being a complete star and doing your good deed for the day, please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes to give the She Can, She Did series a little boost and help others to find it. You can also attend the Midweek Mingles, the She Can, She Did event series for female founders and aspiring female business owners featuring a whole lot of business inspiration and the all-important G&Ts in equal measure. For more information and to book your ticket, head to www.shecanshedid.com. I would love to see you there.